Greetings, friends. I'm John Haspel. This is a Dhamma talk from Cross River Meditation Center in Frenchtown, New Jersey. If you find benefit from this talk, please support the restoration, the preservation, and the presentation of the Buddha's Dhamma with your donation at becoming-buddha.com. Thank you. Peace. So I'll start reading the Piyavaga, um, Skillful Desire. Uh, I'm just going to read John's commentary first. The 16th chapter of the Dhammapada is the Piyavaga. As with all of the Pali language and inflected language, context and intent must be understood in order to interpret the text accurately. Pia means to hold dear, um, is, is one meaning of it. We hold dear that which we have an affection for. Seeing the context of the Buddha's Dhamma, the root cause of affection or holding an object dear is desire or craving. So we'll, we'll circle back to this. But um, The Piyavaga teaches the hurtful results of unskillful desire rooted in ignorance of Four Noble Truths and the liberation from stress and suffering developed through the skillful desire or true affection or holding dear of the Buddha's Dhamma. Piyavaga. Buddha's words. Entangled with what is not their task, ignoring what is their task, having dismissed the goal of understanding to grasp after what is desired, the fool envies the wise who followed the Dhamma. Never join with what is desired or undesired. It is always painful to do so. Do not make anything the focus of desire. It is always painful to be separated from what is desired. No bonds are found for one who has overcome craving. From what is desired is born grief. From what is desired is born fear. Released from desire, there is no grief. Released from desire, there is no fear. Attachment brings grief. Attachment brings fear. Free of attachment, grief and fear cease. Lust brings grief. Lust brings fear. Free of craving, grief and fear cease. People hold dear the disciple who has established virtue and skillful insight, who has realized the truth and does what must be done. The disciple, intent on release from wrong views, dwells in profound wisdom, free of all sense desires. This Dhamma practitioner is in the stream of my Dhamma. When a person returns after a long absence, family and friends welcome them home. In the same manner, the disciples' own good deeds welcome them, having left the world behind. That's the end of the sutta. So, a couple things. We, we want to put this in the context of, of how it was for the Buddha Sangha 2,600 years ago. And in the Buddha Sangha, there were monastics and there were householders. Everyone here is a householder. None of us have taken monastic vows. None of us are homeless. None of us practice in that way. Um, so we have to be mindful of that. 
Um, but there's something that I feel like the overarching theme of this is something David and I were talking about before class, which is how do we say it, David? We were talking about sort of walking it back from the third noble truth, which is this, the ending, the cessation of craving and clinging is possible. So this skillful desire, and you know, one of the lines is here, don't make anything the focus of desire. It is always painful to be separated from what is desired. When we, you know, what, what was the initial thing that the Buddha taught? Our contribution to stress and suffering. So our contribution to stress and suffering comes from desire. Right? So when we contribute to our own stress and suffering through our desire, we're stuck in the loop. When we can understand Four Noble Truths, understand dukkha, there is stress, there is disappointment. <clears throat> when we understand the second noble truth, that craving and clinging is what is my contribution to that inherent stress. And that my desire is what my desire for acquisition, my desire for um, approval, my desire for acknowledgement, my desire for fame, my desire for riches, my desire for success, my desire for whatever, is exactly that craving and clinging that becomes my contribution to the stress that's inherent in the world. When we understand that, when we understand the third noble truth, that the cessation of craving and clinging is possible, then we can go, okay, well, how am I doing that? How am I contributing to my own stress and suffering? Through desire in my thoughts, desire in my speech, desire in my actions. Not the desire for unbinding, but the desire for more self-affirming me activity. And you fear that. Yeah, that's right. Because whatever I desire, I'm always afraid of not getting it. And then when I get it, it's going to go away. So now I'm drawn even further into this endless clinging and craving for getting what I want, 
and never getting what I don't want. And, you know, as we see in life, it's a guarantee at some point we're always going to get what we don't want at some point. We're not in control of that, per se. So, the desire, the craving and clinging born of desire is what the fourth noble truth sets up, which is an answer to the third noble truth, which is the cessation of craving and clinging is possible through the practice and development of the Eightfold Path. So here again, this, this Piyavaga brings together understanding Four Noble Truths and practicing the Eightfold Path as a way to um, as an example of skillful desire. Because what is what is Eightfold Path practice? What, that's, that's the speck of dust. There's a speck of dust and in our eye that we can go, oh, yeah, I don't, I don't quite know it all. But I'm willing to, to understand. I'm willing to understand how I contribute to my stress. Um, you, have, you have to kind of have some kind of desire to perform in life or something like that, though, I think. Yeah, I think, you know, there's... That's always, that's always like a, I don't know, like a happy medium or like, probably wouldn't get out of bed every morning. Right, and I think, you know, again, there's something, there's something that's important about looking at it from a monastic context and from a householder context. You know, monastic life 2,600 years ago was you entered into homelessness and dressed in rags. So householder life 2,600 years ago was pretty much like it is today. Where we, we go to bed doing stuff and we get up doing stuff and we do stuff all day and you know, we do it again. So the question always is, <clears throat> at least for the household of life, is what do you do with ambition? Yeah. Mm-hmm. How far? How far do you want to go with that? Uh, where is that line between <clears throat> the ambition that um, allows you to you know, pay the bills and and uh, uh, provide for your family, so to yeah. speak, if you are if you are the provider, yeah. or the gold provider, yeah. uh, and the one where um, it leads directly to suffering. Right, and, I, and the, Buddha, the Buddha established that with the Eightfold Path. So the Eightfold Path as the path of practice that is the framework for our lives, whether we're monastic, living in a monastic setting, or living a householder life. When you grab your hammer in the morning, it's just right view. Yeah. You grab your intention to go through your day mindfully, Four Noble Truths as your as your the heart would, and 
you make your money, and, but you don't cheat anyone. You don't hurt anyone along the way. So as a householder, it's much harder. You know, I don't have that insulated life of a monastic. So, you know. Yeah, there's a lot of choices to be made. Day, you know, minute to minute almost. Uh, as you're in, <coughs> as you're in business, uh, even if you're, if you're not, so to speak, in business, you're always, you're working for somebody. Um, so there's always these these lines. You know, is, is this uh, am I <coughs> am I taking something? that was not freely given to me. Mm. And that, you know, that, and mm -hmm. like, for instance, the extra 10 minutes for lunch. Mm -hmm. You know, am I taking something that was not really freely given to me? Yeah. Am I getting away with something here? Mm -hmm. Right, and that's, 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 that's always, <clears throat> those more subtle aspects are, are still addressed in the Buddha's Dhamma. Mm -hmm. You know, in the practice of the Eightfold Path, that, that's all there. For, like we said, monastics or householders, you know, and and it makes a living in the in with the eightfold path actually a lot. There goes a lot of stress. Yeah. Of having you know of, of like um, living in that that moral ambiguity, uh, and or not, you know, thinking, oh, um, you know what, the deal was half an hour for lunch, so. That's the deal. Mm -hmm. And past that, I don't, I don't have to try and um, make up a reason why I shouldn't. Yeah. And, you know, this is something that, that the Buddhist Sangha, whether they were monastic or householder, all dealt with, all struggled with, all had to, uh, you know, encounter their humanity in this. Whether they were, you know, homeless or, or not, and that is really the refuge of the Buddha's Dhamma, a refuge for monastics to follow the Eightfold Path, a refuge for householders to have the Eightfold Path be their framework of their life. So that refuge established by the Buddha was available to all in the Sangha, monastic or householder. Is that clear? <clears throat> yeah, but I, I guess it's up to the individual to be able to know where to draw the line always yeah. always yeah. always with, with what's enough always yeah i mean that's still the tricky part totally i mean that's you know the, it'd, be, it'd be nice to be a millionaire sure but, but you know i mean that's I still it, subject to the to the law of impermanence you know sure yeah absolutely but i guess it's fine to i, I guess it's okay to be if you are you know we're practicing you know the, the eightfold path and you've gotten there be it that way. Because if you're not, a lot of times you you find yourself trying to make up your own rules 
which is a very stressful thing to do. Well, you're trying to change everything because it fits you and other uh -huh. ways. Right, right. So you're making up some rules. Or cleaning right. and craving yeah. because you're trying to arrange all the pieces that serve you. Serve me, yeah. yeah. It's kind of difficult, though, because in the society that we live in, millionaires really shouldn't exist, or billionaires can really be want to serve each other and because I feel like if we all really really framed our lives by the Eightfold Path then things like that wouldn't exist you know we'd be giving to each other uh, freely and practicing right you know action right intention and then desire just kind of goes away well but that's that's like a utopia so I understand what you're saying you know, as John says it's difficult he doesn't expect everyone it's impossible but as an individual and that's where you have to start yeah mm -hmm. and if you can maybe influence one other person or a group of people like this and then it spreads out a little bit or it doesn't but yeah and and the first the first line <coughs> speaks to that not being entangled with things that are not your task. Right. At this point, your task is living by yeah. the Eightfold Path. Yeah. And um, worrying about what other people do who may or may not be on the Eightfold Path. Yeah. It's, it's just another entanglement. Right. And that's, you know. It's, it's, uh, it's very much a waste of effort. There's, you know, there's Joe's chariot going by again here I'm on the corner with my begging bowl and he goes by in his new chariot you know but that's not my task I've taken up a different task carrying this bowl and wearing these robes so all desire is born out of fear where there's desire there's fear it's not only born out of fear but also leads to fear it's, it's, it loops constantly you know, and that's, there's, what's framing the whole thing is, is, or one of things, I guess, would, ju would just be impermanence, you know, the three marks of existence, you know, that's, even this thing that, that we, as householders, uphold and maintain, doesn't last forever. You know, we can't we can't have it forever. So by accepting a monastic life or accepting a householder life, that's the task that is asked. And as we said, the the eightfold path is is the refuge for monastic or householder. Thanks, everybody. Um, I'll just go around the room here first. David? I think this is such an important teaching because it always comes up about the householder and where they fall into the practice. And if it's considered selfish to root out craving which is all attached to family and wealth and attachments 
that we all have to address. So I, I think it's a just an outstanding thing to continue to talk about because we are all householders. And the better we understand that we're not turning our backs on loved ones or our responsibilities or the world outside. It's just you're approaching it with right view. And that's, you can then calmly address all those things as couples and business owners and you know, college students who are outraged with the world. Yeah, what better tool, what better discipline to have than this? Yeah. So that's what I got out of it. Thanks, man. Beautiful. Brett? Maybe you want to come back to that. <laughs> <laughs> Ram? Um, yeah, thank you for, for um, putting this one in, in that uh, dichotomy between <clears throat> the monastics and, and the householders. Um, because it's, it's really often forgotten and it, <clears throat> framing it that way uh, takes it out of the theory. Yeah. Uh, it, it's so easy to um, to come to this path as a, ooh, you know, this is a great theory, um, and it isn't. Yeah. It's, you know, it is pure practice, and. <clears throat> It only works as a practice. It never works as a theory. Uh, it it does not lead to any sort of calm if you just use it as kind of a theory. <coughs> but as a practice for a householder, it's literally life-saving. Uh, we all know what the results of stress is just physically. In my experience, having this path and, and having the framework for my life um, in the Eightfold Path has reduced the literally minute by minute stress phenomenal. Keep looking at life through the rose colored glasses <laughs> of the Eightfold Path. It's a true record. It, it is a, a true, true record. Thanks, Ron. Laura? Yeah, I like what Ron just said. <laughs> that was brilliant, because that's similarly to how well, I feel too. It's just stress is very, I, I feel like I become a, a crazy person when I desire things, because it's like it's psychologically, it's debilitating, it makes you sick, it's ridiculous, and once you try to break free of those things and it but I like how everyone is framing it or giving this some clarity and like you said it you made it very accessible when you uh, described that detail because all you have to do well difficult but what you have to do is just frame everything through the eightfold path and then it kind of dissipates that those desires those <coughs> unimportant you know, desires yeah. Thank you. Uh, 
Julia? Um, thank you for the teaching. Um, when I think about the homemakers, it's not just working and all that, it's also your children, mm -hmm. which is like a very important thing because a lot of people have extreme attachments to your children and... Uh, Naturally. Yeah, of course, and also the attached in a way that it's like, you have to understand that they're individuals and you're only here to guide them, but they're their own person, yeah. and they want to do their own thing. So sometimes we have to separate ourselves from that passion of wanting for them to be a certain person or, or do certain things in their mm -hmm. life, thinking that we know all the answers, and we don't know all the answers. That's, this is their life. This is their, you know, their journey. And so yeah. we have to se separate that instead of imposing our desires on them. Yes. So that's very, um, when I, the way you separated the householders from the monastic, it, it makes you realize that that's very, uh, that's a very strong, that's a very strong attachment there. Yeah. It's very difficult for the householders. To yeah. Release, you know? it, it is. And, you know, it's not, it's, it's, it's not, Dave and I were talking about this too, you know, it's, it's, second noble truth you know what my contribution to my stress in my life is through my clinging and craving mm -hmm. through my desire through what I want for myself what I want for my partner what I want for my kids what I want for the world what I want for my business what it, you know that's that's all held in the second noble truth and all describes our contribution to the stress that's inherent in the world as outlined in the first noble truth. So it's not like we're, you know, it's not ignorance, you know, it's not ignoring Ignoring our children, ignoring our lives as they occur, ignoring the very real commitments that we've made in our lives as householders, it's, it's recognizing and acknowledging our contribution to our own stress. Thank you. And really just understanding what that third noble truth is asking. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's just, just this little blurb. But it's saying, you know, wanting thing, things to be different than what they are. Mm -hmm. And to understand that that's what the fourth noble truth brings. But you have to understand that third noble truth. Without it, you'll, you'll cause confusion. You know, people can grasp that first noble truth and they understand the craving for it. You want to jump over to the fourth noble truth and get working, but without understanding the true meaning of the third noble truth, will bring more confusion. So, uh, yeah, that, that, I mean that's got to be in place. Yeah, that's that's really cool, David. Thank you, because that's the thing is that it is what what is it asking of us? What is the third noble truth asking of us? Cessation of craving and clinging is possible. 
what's it asking of us? That's then it, it. What's our responsibility there? And this is where um, Buddhism in general has gone on the skates because consistently refuse to ask that question hmm. and always dodge it and always dodge it and we got further and further and further from from the path. It's, you know, the more you look into the into the, uh, the history of what happened after the Buddha died, it's it's sad, but it's also you know part of the first noble truth. Right. This stuff happens. Yeah. You know, uh, we're 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 going against a, a deep deep drive in the human mind, and it always pops back up. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And why wouldn't it? Yep. Why wouldn't it? Because if you're worried about the mystical or not addressing that third noble truth, why would there be suffering? Yeah. It's just inevitable. Right. That's the first noble truth. <laughs> <laughs> Michael? Skillful desire. Skillful desire. You're, uh, when you had mentioned the loop, yes, desire leads into the feedback loop of dependent origination. Yeah. So it is of utmost importance to recognize, be aware of our own desires, which is being aware of our own ignorance. Fight's on. The fight is on, <laughs> but at least we're in the fight. So <laughs> it's that point of, for me, it's that point of recognition of these desires. I find that desire is created from anything that matters to me. Yeah. Because if it matters to me, then it's, then it's fabricating, you know? If I don't stop it there, then I'm fabricating it. I'm fabricating, I'm suffering from scratching the desire associated with that. Mm -hmm. So that's the way I see that in so. Thanks, Carl. Dustin? I'm deep in the fight right now. 
I like what you said. That's exactly what I was thinking. Is the idea of desire sometimes to me still feels good, you know, and just trying to sort out what desire, why I desire things, and I didn't think about that, putting value, mm. the things I put value on is what I desire, and like, mm-hmm. it's, it feels overwhelming to not understand all of this yet, mm-hmm. to know that there is an eightfold path, to know there is a way to sort of not experience so much suffering, but, but to be here in the beginning and know that when I go home, all I do is distract myself. Mm-hmm. To know that I lust and desire, and it actually is what I'm used to my whole life, but in my brain or whatever, it feels good. Mm-hmm. And then to sort of one by one unplug these desires is, it's a trip. It's a trip, man. And that's, and you know, what you're describing is, is encountering desire and skillful desire for the cessation of craving and clinging. So, like you said, in the beginning, that's both of those things are there. The skillful desire to, to practice the Eightfold Path, to understand your contribution to your own stress, and be then, mindful, that's what's helping yeah, the most, is right. just to be mindful of how I feel in the moment, that I even feel stressful, that I'm clenching my teeth, yeah. that I'm mm-hmm. holding myself, yeah. you know? That's yeah. the beginning stage for me. Yeah. Beautiful. Keep going. Thanks. Brad? <clears throat> uh, thanks for your teaching. Good to be here. Good to hear everybody. Um, so I guess if you're if you're putting a value on something, you're probably establishing you establishing your ego self in that, and that's what's kind of just creating that value to it. I'd say, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, if if who's it valuable to, otherwise, right? Right. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> I, I and I, I mean, there's there's so many ways you can take this apart, but I guess. Uh, <clears throat> Yeah, you have to let something kind of into your life to, at, when you're at these points of uh, struggle, you know, so it's a point of little through to, you know, I guess realizing that you have to let something larger into yourself to kind of overcome that, you know, uh, whatever the struggle is, uh, the stress, to be able to put that down, to the point of little truth, or, or kind of turn to something else or whatever. Yeah, I, I, exactly, and I, I see that. Stop as the eightfold you. path. Yeah, right? stop fighting and you know, yeah. let, some, let, let something else guide you. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, take refuge. Yeah, take refuge. Is the yeah. Right. yeah, and I guess it's like, you know, uh, as far as, I guess, skill, like the skillful desire, it's kind of, you just, I can, all I can equate it to is kind of like, you do the best you can, but at the end of the day, you have to let the chips kind of fall and, mm-hmm. and be happy with what you have and not desire more or you're going to be screwed. Yeah. yeah. Anytime you feel that that conflict, anytime you ask yourself, you know, what what the hell am I, you know, yeah. what the hell am I supposed to do in this situation? I'll remember you. Know? I'll remember. I'll remember your voice in about fifteen twenty minutes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But that that's where you know that's where as we say the rubber hits the road. It, yeah. It's in and it's it it can be just a simple 
right action and right speech. You start there. Yeah. Um, it at least allows you to recognize where your where your <coughs> conflicts lie. Yeah. Then you can deal with it. It's it's recognizing it at the point of contact when it's like, mm -hmm. you know, you have an opportunity to. But it's, it's when you're in it, it's it's, it's hard to mm -hmm. yeah yeah stop. But, but you know, you really have to be guilt. You know, be a. That's, that's where uh, you know Mindful. meditation creates that little, little right. space right. in your head, you know. Yes. And you don't need much space if you start seeing what's happening. Yeah. Dustin said it. Yeah. Mindful. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, this is you know, entangled with what is not their task. Mm -hmm. You know, now I've got I've be, I've gotten involved in something that isn't <laughs> where I am. And entangled in what is not their task is probably looks like trying to fix, solve, change, get rid of something. Yeah, mm -hmm. Exactly. Um, thank you, guys. Teacher Kevin, you over there? Hey, everybody. Good to be here. Um, I like what you were just saying there, Matt. Uh, you know, the, the, there's a line here that people hold dear the disciple who's established virtue and skillful insight, who has realized the truth and does what must be done. And that's what we've been talking about here. We practice wise restraint. We go about our day. We are in the world. And it, as, as it continues saying, uh, the disciples' own welcome them from having left the world behind. We don't entangle ourselves. We don't add ourselves into these phenomena that are occurring. We are simply noticing our mindfulness, as as was mentioned. You know, we are we are skillfully going about our day, and as we said before in in one of the other previous chapters we remain harmless to ourselves and by doing that we're harmless to others through our virtuous actions so uh you know i was hearing a lot of you know talk about sort of wise restraint and and that was not really but that's you know, what we're sort of talking about here we know better now we you know restraint is is as we have an understanding of the dhamma we experience this Restraint is actually a, a lightness you know to our day or to our being you know we're, we're in the world without attaching and, and, you know, grabbing all this stuff or grab, putting our thoughts on everything, which isn't a very free and easy way to live, is it? That's a pretty heavy, burdensome, busy, you know, we're desiring that for things to be different and our mind gets worked up. It's a process that we have to, as we just said, that through meditation, we get to notice it with our mindfulness. That, that comes through our practice. So thank you all for contributing to, to this wonderful discussion. Thanks, Kevin. Nina. Hi. 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 Um, so I am just starting to study the Eightfold Path. Like, I've gotten through right view. <laughs> So far because I read it and then I have to sit with it for a long time um, so I don't have the vocabulary to talk about the Eightfold Path but something that comes to mind is um, 
your intention, like one's intention when one participates with things. So like um, the desire for money or attachments to relationships or sex or getting the most candy on Halloween or something like that um, can turn into and can slip into something like greed or codependency or addiction. So um, this idea of being skillful with your desires to me feels like your intention behind things. Yeah, brilliant. I mean, and that's kind of what Kevin touched on with the idea of practicing restraint. Yeah. And that it really speaks to that, to, to, to how we're getting involved in life as it occurs. Yeah. Thank you. <clears throat> Jeff. Let me unmute here. Uh, I don't know that I have much to add to this. Um, th thinking back on on the on the discussion about homeless versus householder and monastic, um, it's difficult to evaluate unless you're actually experiencing that particular situation isn't it i mean it it, it it it's kind of easy to imagine or form judgments on that and uh i, I don't know which i i don't picture one as being much easier or harder than the other the choices are still difficult yeah you know it, just different choices yeah yeah, I think that's I think that's true. And and you know, the the thing the, the takeaway is the Buddha established an eightfold path of practice for both monastic and householder as a true refuge. Thank you, Jeff. Um Brian. Hi Matt. Thank you for this. Um I don't know if I have much to add either, um, but I guess the as as one works through this process and starts to develop some space in between, you start to realize that there aren't that many skillful desires to begin with, um, and that what you're putting value in or on that object or thing has has absolutely no inherent value to begin with and it, it's just it's subjective it's impermanent and, and and then you start to realize that well why am i desiring that in the first place and then it just it starts to snowball a bit that you know i always talk about candy i i love candy and i haven't had one ounce of desire tonight because I, I know where that leads and I know how I'll feel. And it's just like, okay, I, I don't need to go there anymore. Um, so this, I mean, this, all, all the stuff that we've talked about tonight is just so absolutely practical to day-to-day -day life that you know, the more you engage and the more you get into it, and the, the further away you get from that desire, you know, as John always said, you're, you're just living life as life occurs. And there's, there's no desire in that. It's just, it just is. 
So, thank you. Thank you, John. I'm not giving up candy, that's just... <laughs> <laughs> Jane. Hi, Matt. Thank you for the teaching. I've enjoyed everybody's comments. Um, for me, my craving was on a grand scale. I wanted my whole life to change. I was totally miserable, and I had this notion that if I could just change things up, that, you know, it would be better. And um, then the Dhamma happens, I, and I learned that all I need is to, you know, accept my life as it occurs. And my life hasn't really changed that much, but yet I found the peace because I've taken out the part that I contributed to my stress. And uh, so that's life changing. Right? That would be the desire to want something different. She's removed, right, Jane? Yeah. Did you? Right. <laughs> Thank you, Jane. Beautiful. Mary. Hi there. Hi, everybody. Um, first of all, Matt, what a, what a wonderful job. I mean, communicating with so much um, love and understanding. So thank you for this teaching. Um, the Dhamma definitely meets you where you are. And so that's what makes it fascinating to listen to everybody because you go, oh, wow, I wasn't thinking that, but that's interesting, right? Mm -hmm. Because the Dhamma was meeting that person where they are. Um, just a little shout out to Dustin and his insights and observations are, um, it's not only beneficial to himself, but to the uh, entire team. So, you know, keep going. Um, keep going, Dustin, you're doing good. Um, and so this hits me as uh, John often says, full emotional um, maturity. Um, this particular Dhamma seems to be about uh, that full emotional maturity to be able to navigate your way through the Four Noble Truths, to exercise the Eight Noble uh, in the Eightfold Path. And it seems to me that the what's on the other side is, um, I don't know, I don't mean to be um, dramatic, but a love and contentment uh, because you've arrived at a certain place with yourself and therefore you're able to extend that to others. So that's what I felt um, during this teaching and conversation. So thank you for that. Thanks, Mary. That was wonderful. Uh, John, good to see you. On mute. There we go. Good to see you too, Matt. Nice to uh, see everybody again. Um, I'll keep this short because my internet connection's been on and off here. But um, and getting entangled with what is not their task is something that uh, resonates with me because I'll often get involved with things, or I will mentally get involved with things that really have nothing to do with me, and I desire for the outcomes of the other people involved to be positive, but is beyond my control. And that causes me suffering. And um, 
just to be able to recognize that is helpful. And um, that, that was the biggest thing I wrote down. When I, and that and Halloween candy is always having as much as possible. That's I'm still working on this. I'm work in progress. But that, that was the biggest thing I've got from this or that resonated with me the most is, is not to get entangled with things that you have no control over. And very often that's what, what people are doing and or you, you interpret what they're doing. It doesn't mean what you want and it's just just let it roll and let it unfold in front of you and don't um, don't get so absorbed and and I guess you learn that skill through following but you do learn that skill, that skillful selection, skillful desire through the eightfold path and learning of it and being and teaching it and listening to everybody here and the and the householder challenge that was I never thought of that before. That was an interesting take. I gotta think about that a bit more. That was my thoughts. Brilliant, John. Thank you. Esteemed guest, welcome to unmute if you want. Okay. Thank you all again for a wonderful class. Um, we will finish as we always do with Metta. This is from the Karaniya Metta Sutta. This is what should be done by one who is skilled in goodness and who knows the path of peace. Let them be able and upright, straightforward and gentle in speech, humble and not conceited, contented and easily satisfied, unburdened with duties and frugal in their ways, peaceful and calm and wise and skillful, not proud or demanding in nature. Let them not do the slightest thing that the wise would later reprove. May all beings be at ease. Whatever living beings there may be, whether they are weak or strong, omitting none, the great or the mighty, medium, short or small, the seen and the unseen, those living near and far away, those born and to be born, may all beings be at ease. Let none deceive another or despise any being in any state. Let none through anger or ill will wish harm upon another. Even as a mother protects with her life her child, her only child, so with a boundless heart should one cherish all living beings. Radiating kindness over the entire world, spreading upwards to the skies and downwards to the depths, outwards and unbounded, freed from hatred and ill will. Whether standing or walking, seated or lying down, free from drowsiness, one should sustain this recollection. This is said to be the sublime abiding. By not holding to fixed views, the pure-hearted one having clarity of vision, being freed from all sense desires, is not born again into this world. Thank you all. Thank you, Matt. Peace. Thank you. Thanks, Matt. Wonderful class. Thank you, everyone. Bye, everyone. Thanks, all. Bye. Good night, all. Thank you for listening. I rely on donations to support the continued restoration, preservation, and presentation of the Buddha's Dhamma. If you find benefit here, please consider a donation at becoming-buddha.com. Thank you. Peace.